Welcome to Moses in May, and here we are a little bit in June. It's great to see you. I want to thank you for being here. I also want to welcome everybody watching online. I believe today is going to be a really good day. So here's what I want you to do. Get your Bible or your device ready, because we're going to spend some time in Exodus chapter 25. We're going to read some verses there. And then we're going to move from there to the Old Testament book of Numbers and look at a couple of different chapters there as well. And we're going to allow Moses, this reluctant Old Testament prophet, just to mentor our hearts and our lives today. Okay, so far with Moses, we have discovered his dramatic birth He was born into a culture of hatred and genocide. He wasn't supposed to live, but God had his hand on Moses and rescued him because God had some extraordinary work for Moses to accomplish with his life. Like, approach the most powerful leader in the known world at that time, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh. And ask for the release of the Israelites from slavery, God's people, Moses' people. That's what God wanted Moses to do. Moses, you go and you approach this authority, the biggest leader in the known world, and you ask him to release our people. And that's exactly what Moses did. Eventually, it happens and God's people walk out of Egypt in freedom. They do. Pharaoh changed his mind, though, and he goes after the Israelites to bring them back into slavery. And in another miraculous scene, God just opens up the Red Sea, and the Israelites walk across on dry ground, and they are rescued from the pursuit of Pharaoh and his army, and they begin their new life as a nation as free people. So great, right? The people are free. Moses is doing a pretty good job of leading. And now they begin this journey out of Egypt into the promised land that God had given to them. They're beginning the movement. Let's go and get our land. Except they take a very circuitous route in getting there. And here's what I mean by that. There's a map on the screen, and you can see on the left side here, there is the land of Egypt, and that's where God's people were enslaved for hundreds of years. They begin a journey to Kadesh Barnea, which you can see on the right side of the map there. Kadesh Barnea sat just a few miles outside of the promised land. Now, I'm not a trip expert planner or anything like that, but for me, in looking at the map, I would say, okay, if you are leaving Egypt and going to Kadesh Barnea, the shortest route from point A to point B is just to go straight across, right underneath the Mediterranean Sea. That makes a lot of sense to me. Scholars tell us the journey from Egypt to Kadesh Barnea, if you go straight east to west or west to east, would take about 130-ish miles. Or for a large group, 
which that's the nation of Israel, about a month. So think about this. God's people, they're free and leaving Egypt. They're making their way to Kadesh, Barnea, and in about a month, they can be right at the edge of the promised land, the land that God had given to them. They can get there. Except they take the long route. God's people do this. They leave Egypt and they travel south into what is known as the Sinai region. And they even spend a few months at a place called Mount Sinai where they interacted with God and they worshipped God there and God gave Moses the Ten Commandments there. They spend time in this Sinai region and eventually they make their way back up to Kadesh Barnea. Kind of a different route, a different path to take. Every summer, my wife Tanya and I and our family, we travel back to Toledo and Chicago to visit with our families. We leave our home in PA and we wander up to the Pittsburgh area. And then it's a straight shot west from Pittsburgh. And we go to Toledo and we spend time with Tanya's family there. And then just from Toledo to Chicago, straight west. And we spend time with my family there. That's the route we take. At least that's the route I think we take. I just put the addresses in my phone. I really have no idea where we're going, but I think that's what happens. We go up to Pittsburgh and then straight west to Toledo and Chicago. That's the shortest route from point A to point B. And when you look at that map, it sure makes sense that God's people would just leave Egypt and take 30 days and get to your promised land and start enjoying all of this. But they take the long route. They go south before they go north again. Why does that happen? Well, here are a couple of reasons. A route along the Mediterranean. If they just went straight from Egypt to Kadesh Barnea, that would bring God's people through a territory filled with all kinds of Egyptian fortresses and other people groups who would likely see the Israelites as a threat and they would attack them. And God knew that if his people were attacked, it would be a disaster. It would be a mess. They weren't trained as soldiers. They didn't really know how to fight. All they had known for hundreds of years was slavery. They didn't have weapons of any kind. If they were attacked, they would run. They would have to run. It would be their only way to survive. And so taking the long route uniquely is God's way of rescuing his people from being attacked. Again, it doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense to us. Just get there. But God was protecting them by taking them the long way. That's one reason. Here's the second reason. Do you remember the week we talked about Moses and the burning bush where God talked to him? That all happened in Exodus chapter 3, where God spoke from the bush to say, Moses, here's what I want for you. I want you to leave this area here, and you're going to go back to Egypt, and you're going to confront Pharaoh, and you're going to ask for the release of our people. 
That all happened in a particular region, and I love this. Just listen to these words from Exodus chapter 3, verse 12. God answered, Moses, I will be with you. I will. And this is your sign that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, which it's easy to overlook that, here God is saying before Moses ever went to Egypt, it's going to happen. I will bring my people out of Egypt. And guess what, Moses? You will worship God at this very mountain. And that all took place, the burning bush scene at Mount Sinai. So what we discover here, I believe, is God just keeping his promises and saying, I will bring my people out of Egypt. And you're going to come back to this very place, the scene of the burning bush where I called you to do something miraculous. And you and the people of Israel will worship me here. This is God fulfilling his promises. And for the past two weeks, we have been discussing the Ten Commandments. This is where God gave his people ten rules for living. Or ways they could be rightly related with God. Remember, that's the first four commands. And then the final six commands are how we can rightly be related to each other. Well, that all happened at Mount Sinai, and this is God just keeping his promises. I share all of this with you as a reminder that God was always at work in this situation. And we can't forget that as we think about this reluctant prophet. God was always at work in this situation, even though Moses sometimes couldn't see it or feel it even though the nation probably couldn't see it or feel it, like, where is God? And how is he going to come through this time? God was always at work in this situation. And even in their travels, which didn't make a lot of sense to go south before going north, God was in all of this sustaining them. May we never forget, as people who follow God, that he is always at work in our situations as well. Even when we don't see it, and even when we may not be able to feel it, God is always at work. And this is one of the things that just falls out of the story of Moses. Okay, I want to share a big idea with you, and then we will dive into Exodus chapter 25. Here's our big idea. Allow fear and doubt to dissipate with a reminder of God's presence and provision. See, sometimes we have to review and we have to remind ourselves of what God has done and then stand on that as we embark on new territory. So allow fear and doubt to dissipate with a reminder of God's presence and provision. I think this will make sense as we move through the narrative. So here's what I want to do. I want to share two observations from this period of time where God's people are leaving Egypt, traveling to Sinai, camping there for a bit, hearing from God and responding to his greatness, and then eventually traveling north again to get to Kadesh Barnea. There's a couple of observations about this wilderness time. One centers on the tent, and we'll talk about the tent in just a moment, but it's a really important part of how God worked in and through his people. The second part of this is fear. 
and fear that is specifically tied to Kadesh Barnea and a choice that God's people made there, a fatal choice, really, to not trust what God wanted for them. So these two observations of this wilderness time, there's the tent, and then we'll talk about fear as it is connected to Kadesh Barnea. Okay, let's begin in Exodus chapter 25, and let's think about the tent. Here we go, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to bring me their sacred offerings. Accept the contributions from all whose hearts are moved to offer them. Here's a list of sacred offerings you may accept from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet thread. Fine linen and goat hair for cloth. Tanned ramskins and fine goatskin leather. Acacia wood. Olive oil for the lamps. Spices for anointing oil. And the fragrant incense. Onyx stones and other gemstones to be set in the ephod and the priest's chest piece. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern that I will show you. Now, here's what's fascinating. The next several chapters in Exodus outline how they were supposed to build the tent or the tabernacle or the sanctuary or the church is really what this is and how it would be furnished on the inside. We're also told in Exodus that the tent would be placed in the middle of Israel's camp and all of their tents or their homes would be scattered around the sanctuary or the tabernacle, or the meeting place of God. And they put their homes, their tents, around the tent so that they could look at that and have a physical reminder of the presence and provision of God. And so God outlines all of this for Moses. Here's the tent, and here's what you can put inside, and here's where you place everything. And oh, by the way, place this sanctuary right in the middle of the big camp so that everybody can see, well, there it is. That's God, and he is present with us, and he will continue to provide for us. I think it's quite remarkable that if they ever wondered, you know, what is God up to and is he really still with us? They could open up the tent flap to their own home and say, well, there it is. There's the presence of God. He is with us and he has been providing for us and we're going to stand on that for the future as well. I love what author Adam Hamilton says about this. More space in the book of Exodus is devoted to God's instructions for building the tent of meeting than to the story of the plagues and the exodus combined. Now that is really noteworthy because we tend to spend a lot of time thinking about the plagues and the crossing of the Red Sea because it is so amazing. And then we skip over all of the goat hair stuff and acacia wood because what even is that stuff? 
But yet what we find here is there's more detail given to all of that than to the plagues and the exodus combined, which helps us to know this clearly. Clearly. The sanctuary was important to God, and that's why so much time in Exodus is given to the tent. It was a physical reminder of the presence and provision of God. The tent was special. It was special. And I think we, as a church, can get that. I think that makes sense to us. This place in the middle of the camp that was a picture of the presence and provision of God, and they could see it. I think that makes sense to us, Valley Point, as a faith community. For 12 years, we met in rented space at the Garnet Valley Middle School. And then God provided in miraculous ways, and many people sacrificed above and beyond so that we could have this tent, this place to meet and respond to the greatness of God. And three years after all of that happened, I am still amazed at what God did for us and through us and that we have a place, sacred space, really, to just respond to who God is. And I understand that the church is not a building. The church is people, and wherever we go, we are the church in those contexts, But there is something special about sacred space that is a reminder of the presence of God and of how he provides. So as we think about the wilderness wanderings of God's people and their time getting to the promised land, we can't forget about the tent. It was right there in the middle and they could look at it and say, he's still here, he's still here. And he will continue to provide for us. Okay, let's think about fear now and Kadesh Barnea. If you find the Old Testament book of Numbers and chapter 13, we discover at this time that the Israelites have been free from the Egyptian tyranny for about two years now. And things are going well for them. And here's what we discover. Verse 1. The Lord now said to Moses, they're in Kadesh Barnea, they're right there at the edge of the promised land. The Lord said to Moses, send out men to explore the land of Canaan. Send out some spies. The land I am giving to the Israelites, they need to see it. Send one leader from each of the 12 ancestral tribes. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. He sent out 12 men, all tribal leaders of Israel from their camp in the wilderness of Paran. After exploring the land for 40 days, the men returned. And this was their report to Moses. Well, we entered the land you sent us to explore, and it is indeed a bountiful country, a land flowing with milk and honey. And here's the kind of fruit it produces. They had samples. They're doing a taste test. But the people living there are powerful, and their towns are large and fortified. We even saw the New York Giants there. Just making sure you're still with me. Actually, the New York Giants don't scare anyone right now. 
Verse 30, but Caleb, one of the spies, tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Let's go at once to take the land, he said. We can certainly conquer it. But the other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They are stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who goes to live there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. Chapter 14, verse 1. Then the whole community began weeping aloud, and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and his brother Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt, or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Then they plotted among themselves, let's choose a new leader and go back to Egypt. What follows next, if you continue to read the story, is that God is not impressed. Like, what? Back to Egypt? Like, you can just imagine God trying to figure this all out. Like, what are you thinking? Why would you want that? Have you forgotten what I did and how I helped you escape and the miraculous things and the food that I have provided for you and the water? Have you forgotten all about this? God is not impressed at all. And as a result, God declared that no one 20 years of age or older who had cried out against God would be able to enter the promised land. He just said, you're not going. So for the next 38 years, they kind of just wandered in small circles in the wilderness, and they missed out just miles away from the land that God said, you can have it, it's yours, I'm giving it to you. They missed out on enjoying God's best because they allowed fear to drive them. That's the fatal choice at Kadesh Barnea. So what do we do with all of this? There's the tent and the presence of God and the provision of God and there's fear and Kadesh Barnea and choices and traveling. What do we do with all of this content? I have two takeaways for us. Here's the first one. Allow the past provision of God to sustain and enable you to take a faith step today. Okay? Sometimes we have to go back and review. Well, here's what God did. And here's an answer to prayer. And here's a provision. And here's how God moved in my heart. Here's how God empowered me to do something. Here's what God accomplished, and I saw it, and I observed it. Sometimes we have to go back and review that and then stand on it, which allows us to move forward today. So here's the deal. It's really hot outside. I don't think anybody's going to be doing a lot outside today. So get inside your air-conditioned house and just create a list of how God has provided for you in the past. And begin to thank God for his provision in the past. And then stand on that. 
stand on that. It's amazing to me that this generation, and it's really easy to look at them and say, you know, why didn't they get it? Of course, God was going to do something. It's really easy to look back on that. But they saw the plagues. They saw God enable them to walk out of Egypt and cross the Red Sea. They watched God provide manna for them and water and bring them to the edge of the promised land and protect them throughout that journey. He gave them commandments that would guide them as a new nation and help form them into people who would honor him and also respect others around them. God provided all of this. They were eyewitnesses to these things. I mean, they saw it. They saw it and somehow froze when it came to doing the next right thing. But we do this all of the time, don't we? I know that I do. We know God answers prayer. He's done it in the past. But we get really busy and we stop praying and asking. It was time for that. We know we have received from God through his word our daily bread that encourages and sustains and provides answers and solutions. Yet often we kind of push that to the side and do a lot of other things that are less important. We may have experienced God use our light and our life to encourage others to consider the claims of Christ, but then we get really fearful in a culture that's not too big on Jesus, and shh, to kind of keep that down. Yet we've seen God move and answer prayer and give us daily bread and use our lives, but yet we freeze and following God and apprenticing with Jesus becomes ah, kind of blah. And maybe that was dynamic a long time ago, but now we just kind of go through the motions. So I think the question for all of us is, how do we get that back? How do we get that back? Well, review the provision of God in your life and allow that to reignite you in fresh ways. Your trust and your willingness to follow God and then go find the next right thing. And do it. What step of faith is God asking of you? What God wink have you potentially been ignoring? Like, Ugh, I don't think I want to do that right now. What fear is keeping you from living out God's best? Right? Stand on God's provision and what he has done. We've seen him move. The Israelites saw that. I think collectively as a faith community, we have seen God move as well. So let's stand on that and then just go do the next right thing. Okay? The second takeaway. Focus on the giant or focus on God? The answer to this question is significant. And it will determine the direction of our journey. Scholar James Boyce had this to say about these individuals who came back with the reports. None of the 12 spies disagreed about what they had seen. Where they differed was in their awareness or lack of awareness of God. 
10 spies looked at the giants, compared themselves to the giants, and felt like grasshoppers. Caleb and Joshua had their eyes fixed on God, not on themselves or their circumstances. And from that perspective, the giants looked small. So church, whatever's happening in your life right now, eyes on God. Eyes on God. Because that allows us to move forward and live out his best. Back to the big idea. Allow fear and doubt to dissipate with a reminder of God's presence and provision. May God give us all the courage to embrace this and live it throughout the week. Will you pray with me? Father, we step into your presence, grateful for some time to look at Exodus chapter 25 and be reminded of of your presence with your people. And that's true of us as well. You're not hiding from us. You're not taking a nap. In fact, scripture tells us that You don't slumber. You don't sleep. You're always on call. May you help us to stand on that as we think about whatever faith step you are asking of us or whatever God wink we may be ignoring or whatever fear may be keeping us from really stepping fully into your plan for us. God, help us to take the example of the Kadesh Barnea generation. God, they were right there. Right there on the edge. And they froze and said no, and they paid a price for that. God, I confess to you, I do that quite a bit. Just kind of freeze and I know God has done something in the past, but I I don't know about this. This might be too much. And I confess that fear to you. God, many of us probably feel that way. So help us as we step out of here and embark on a new week to just review your provision and then to stand on that as fear dissipates and we move forward with you and with our eyes on you. Give us the courage to live that way. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Will you stand with me? Can you do that? I just want to encourage you to engage in this moment now and think about how God really is bigger than our fears. And he doesn't want us to be enslaved to what keeps us from living out his best in us. So let's respond to that now.